This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And action! Hello and welcome to episode 334 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk... Filmmaking. From indie films to studio films and... High-end TV and everything (laughs) in between. And documentaries and animation and adverts... Never short films. And shorts. (laughs) Well, actually... Saying that, we might have a short film special really? coming up. More of that soon. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to... Royally F them up. In a very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson. I've recently made the feature films, Wolves of War, The Stranger in Our Bed, and Three Day Millionaire. And I am Dom Lenoir. Who has also made the feature films, Winter Ridge, When the Screaming Starts, Soundtrack to 16, and I Love My Mum. Which I do as well. And on this week's Filmmakers Podcast, we have the amazing director, Florian Zeller. Of a unbelievable new film. He is a novelist, a playwright, a theatre director, a screenwriter and a film director. He wrote and directed his first film, The Father, based on his play of the same name, starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Colman. The film, The Father, received six nominations at the Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And rightly so. It was a pretty decent film. And Florian won Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar. It was also nominated for four Golden Globe Awards and six BAFTAs. It was a very decent film. He has then gone on to make his second feature film, The Sun, which is named the film we're talking about today, which is out now. So, Dom, what do we talk about with the amazing Florian Zeller on this week's episode? We talk about how both films were adapted plays, uh, male suicide and mental health, and why a Hugh Jackman email was a game changer for Florian. We also talk about the acting scenes that he created, not only with Anthony Hopkins, but with Hugh Jackman, and how often he has no rehearsals, and why sometimes he doesn't let the actors on set for the first time until the camera is rolling. Hmm. We also talk about working with the legendary Anthony Hopkins and getting him on board. And also, why directors have to know what they want. We also talk about how he believes anyone can learn filmmaking. He talks about how to direct actors. And why cows, C-O-W-S, play a very fun part in this week's episode. It's just part of the mood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, That's all coming up for you on this week's episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. Actually, fun fact, I, I was at a friendly friendly farm with, with the nephews yesterday uh, and, and a cow did a full-on moo 
Um, he, just, he just came up to the edge of the fence and just, just went for it. He was just going mental with the moves. So there we go. Was it moving? Yeah. We... <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. It was. He absolutely hoofed it out of the park. Did it probably got beef for you. Yeah. I hope not. Because you shouldn't eat cows. Bad for you for one. It's mainly bad for the environment. It's pretty bad for the cow. <laughs> and it's definitely bad for the cow. Oh, there we go. This is a filmmaking podcast. Mm. <laughs> Did you know? So myself and Dom, we are hosting a panel event this coming Sunday in London at the Genesis Cinema. Some say the most famed and exciting panel event that's ever hit London. Some say that. Don't know who they are, but they say <laughs> that. It's famous. Now, it's a really good event. When we do these, we sell out. But this was a little bit of a last minute. It was, yeah. It was a bit of a last minute. London Independent Film Festival asked us, and we thought, yeah, yeah why not? We've been meaning to do the Make Your Film events again, yeah. and we thought, oh, we'll make it more of the Filmmakers Podcast yeah. live, in brackets, Make Your Film 9, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, The thing is, we don't want to ever do anything by half. So, you know, me and Giles could just turn up and, and sit and waffle on for an hour, which, you know, would probably be re- reasonably which, entertaining. Yeah, that's but what we do. We thought, why not just get some, some ludicrously high-end guests and um, make a jolly which of it? we are doing. So it's this Sunday, April 16th, 2pm, at the Genesis mm. Cinema. So if you're anywhere near London, come on down. The guests we have announced so far are... Dee Pats, uh, Debs Patterson. Yep. I don't think she goes by that, but I've just uh, I thought it was a good improv. Mm, nice. Director of such very high-end TV as Halo mm. and Willow, and the Pathé Warner Brothers spectacular Africa United. Also joining us on the panel is Cnop. No, it doesn't work, does it? It is Cos Greenop. He's directed the feature films Dark Beacon, Demon Baby, The Last High Sweet Street, Velvet, and House Red. And he's just wrapped on. It comes with cold water. It's an Icelandic epic set in uh, set in Iceland. I mean, which is pretty exciting, to be honest. So, we're going to have another guest announced very, very soon as well. But anyway, either way, it's going to be brilliant. There's networking afterwards from 3.30 until mm. 6. Genesis Cinema in Bethnal Green. Head on down. Link to that is in the show notes. So, we decided, because this was a short one today... We decided what we would do is do a little wrap-up afterwards and talk about some of the important things that Florian talks about, and we'll dive into them further, mm-hmm. but also tell you what we've been up to as directors, producers, and writers. We haven't done it for a little yep. while, so we thought, why not? Let's go into it a little bit more. Why not? So dumb. Tell us about Florian's film, The Sun. Tell us in a short burst, because we're going to play the trailer before the chat with Florian starts. The Sun is the moving and i would say brother piece to the father <laughs> exactly uh it is the it is yes yeah, it's the moving story of a son effectively with mental health issues and how two parents uh, played by hugh jackman and laura dern are struggling to cope with them we also have vanessa kirby who is the new partner of hugh jackman's character thrown into the mix as a new mother uh, so there's a lot of family dynamics and basically parents having to try and figure out the difficult choices in terms of helping their son. Uh, and it's a, it's a really challenging film uh, and it's very, um, it's very, very powerful. Here is the trailer for The Sun. And then afterwards, it's our chat with Florian Zeller. Enjoy. What are you doing here? Nicholas hasn't been to school in almost a month. 
ask. How are you? Has something happened? You realize the school is talking about expelling you. Can I live with you? You said you don't feel very close to people your age. Your other son, he needs you as well. And you were at work all of the time. Has he been able to talk about the divorce? I've tried to be there for you. I've tried to give you strength. What's going on? Are you on drugs? You think you can just live your life doing whatever you feel like? I don't know what's happening to me. I feel like a complete failure. I wasn't there for him. There used to be so much joy in our family. You give these big speeches about life, and then you abandon us. I have the right to reinvent my life! Hello, son. You came to tell me what a good dad you are? What do you want? Applause? That's my little boy. I can't give up on him. I like your North Face. That's nice. Yeah, this is when you're told you have to come to London. Yeah, <laughs> but it's mandatory to wear North Face. Isn't it's it? thick and furry and amazing. I like it a lot. Good. All right. Welcome to Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to chat to you. By the way, yeah, you've made two incredible films. I mean, wow. Thank you. All right. Um, gosh, we don't even know where to start with it because it's so in depth and so interesting and so thoughtful your work because obviously you've done the father and then you've done the son mm. i mean maybe it's a question you've been asked probably a lot of times but but what started the the kind of sequence i guess uh in in because it, it explores male identity and parental lineage and father figures uh, in some really interesting ways it's um what they have in common the father and the son they were both plays that i wrote because i come from theater and uh, when I did The Father, I knew that if I had the opportunity to do another film, because, you know, it's never granted, yep. it would be The Son. So it's something that I was really, uh, I mean, it comes from a, a conviction uh, or a deep place. You know, I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And I think it's it comes from what happened on stage, I would say, for example, for the sun, I remember it was it was first on stage in Paris, and then it was in London, mm. and um, I was surprised and moved to discover the response of the audience, meaning that people were waiting for us after every performance, not to say congratulations, but really to to share their own story. And um, you know, the film is about a father trying to help his uh, teenager son going through depression, and. These people, after performances, they, they were like, uh, you know, I, I know what you're talking about because my daughter, because my son, because my uncle. And I almost physically realized that so many people uh, could be in this position, you know, when you do not know what to do anymore to help someone you care for. And um, so it comes from there. The fact that when the play was finishing, something else was, was starting, which was like a conversation. And there are so much guilt and so much shame around mental health issue. Mm. I feel like they wouldn't have shared their own story if it was not just after the play. And so 
sorry, my answer is a bit long, but I, I made the decision to make that film to open the conversation as small conversations were open after the play. Mm. And I, th I think it's I think it's especially powerful because mental health is now being talked about, and I think you know mental health in general is something that people do have conversations about. Like ten, twenty years ago, no one would discuss it, but male suicide is like the biggest suicide, um, and you know that, that that's not always talked about. It's something that's often brushed over, and I, I think it's it's the first film I've seen where it's really sort of covered. You know, spoilers, obviously, but if you watch listen to the episode, you should have watched the film anyway. Um, But it's something that, that mm. it's the first time I've seen it really covered, uh, and then, and what you talked about as well, the, the helplessness of the parents, yeah, and and you know how does someone deal with that? I mean, what did you? What was the research process to get into tackling these subjects? I mean, not in terms of research, but the first instinct was not to shy away from it and to, in a way, to try to face it in the eyes. You know, even though it's slightly uncomfortable, even though it creates some frustration sometimes. But to look it to look at it um, in a specific way, meaning that I try not to explain the pain, I try not to resolve anything, and so it, somehow it's going, it's like going far from what you're expected to do when you write a script, you know. But I did it that way because I felt that it was the only way to to be honest, because this is the way it is in real life. I feel meaning that you know when someone in, is in pain. It's hard to sometimes to know why, you know, there are some psychological reasons, some traumas, but also some uh, biological reasons, sometimes chemical reasons. And, and it's hard to, to accept that we don't know. It's like a mystery. It's like a black hole. You know, we all know people in our lives on paper, they have everything to be happy and still mm -hmm. they are struggling. And um, especially for parents, it's like impossible not to have answers, you know, or to explain or to understand. And because there is no explanation, you start thinking, you know, Is it my fault? What did I do? Etc. Etc. So it's the guilt and the shame that takes take the space, you know. And I feel like that's the worst um, position to help someone else. It's quite a clever thing you've done as well. It's very hard, as Dom says, to try and get anything like that to resonate, to make sense. You know, Dom saying mental health at the moment is talked about a lot, which is great. But diving into it and making it work and finding the truths within there because it can be handled incorrectly whereas here it's not it feels very real emotional and tender was that like say when you started writing that as a play was that always there was that something that you were like okay this is where i need to go with this play was was that always the seed the spark for you like as in where it ends as well yeah and where it yeah. Ends, yeah i think that you know Some height was coming from a personal place. I was trying to use my experience, my emotions. Not, mm. not to say that it is my story, but it's it's territories I'm not stranger to. And so it was about trying to explore what I knew about it, what I felt. But you do not make a film just to tell your own story. Somehow it's not enough. It's really because, as I said, I felt that so many people could be or are in this situation. I mean, especially right now, I feel like we are like. In, in the middle of a mental health pandemic mm. uh, and uh, especially after COVID. And, and it's true, you, you said that we are talking a lot more about mental health, but still I feel that we are not comfortable uh, talking about it or we pretend talking about it, but you know, it, it's still very, very uh, brutal. Um, and you know, there are so many people that are not helped and that even not aware that they are struggling with mental health issues. 
And um, so I think that we need to be you know, comfortable and you need to be, we need to, to be comfortable watching movies also about it, mm -hmm. but not in the, in, in the, I mean, what I try to do, as I said, is not to resolve anything. So it's frustrating and it's, it's, it, it creates like uh, something we don't want to share sometime, but that's the purpose. Mm. I think that's, that's very true in, in terms of the, the frustration and it's, it's a good way because you, you feel the parents' frustration. I mean, I, I think a, a lot of a lot of films in these kind of situations. The the father in this case, you know, he's he's shown as someone that's maybe left the mother behind, but he's not the villain. He's really trying to make a go of, of helping his son, and the mother isn't shown as a bad mother either. So there's no there's no easy answers in the seeds um, of what happened. Was that always in in the writing process? Those yeah, things? I really want. I didn't want to do like a film about bad parenting. And I try to, that's why, one of the reasons I really wanted to do it with Hugh Jackman was uh, the fact that when you see Hugh, I feel, you can tell that he's a good person. That's mm. something you can feel on screen. Because in real life, I mean, he's a great actor, but he's also an extraordinary human being. Mm -hmm. And that was needed for the film because I really wanted for us to feel that he's a good father, you know, trying hard to find a solution with the best intentions and that's that's not easy you know that takes time to accept that you are not well equipped um as a father to help your son because it's purely counterintuitive and um so that's why i wanted to do it with him how did you get into that mind space with someone like you as well because you've got a that's difficult. You're playing someone who's flawed, which is often the case with, you know, actors going into roles. You want to play someone who's flawed. But here he's playing someone who doesn't know how to deal with it, who doesn't find the balances between how anyone can handle this. And, it, and it's fascinating and wonderful. What, how did you talk to him? How did you discuss this? I mean, it started in a very unusual way. Mm. It's, uh, I was working on the adaptation of the, of the play and he's the one who... Uh, got in touch with me uh, and that's the first time I think that it happened to me that an actor came to me mm. um, and he said in his letter um, if you're already in conversation with another actor please forget my letter but if you're not I would love to have 10 minutes with you to let you know why I should be the one to do it and it's not a bad email to get <laughs> no it's it's no. a good email <laughs> I guess my email there's, there's, there's a lot of filmmakers at home crying right now <laughs> yeah and hopefully it was not in my spam so I read it <laughs> and uh, and of course I met him it was two years ago so we did it we mm. did that on zoom yeah but I was before that I was really already impressed by the I would say the courage and the, the honesty and mm. the humility humility that it takes to to write such a, an email mm. and uh, so it was a general meeting on Zoom and I was not planning to make any decision. It was just to know each other a bit. But after 10 minutes, I stopped uh, the, the conversation and I offered him the role and he was very surprised. And I was too, mm. that he got, that he went so quickly yeah. because, and it's not because of something he said, it's more because of something I felt about who he is. Mm. Meaning that he gave me access to the man that he is and I understood that as a father and as a son, he was connected to that story that he had the emotions that I wanted to explore in himself already somewhere mm -hmm. deep down and that he would be ready or available to to explore them so the challenge was not to talk about the character about the backstories about things like that it was it was trying to find a way to 
go deep down and to be connected to the reason why he came to me in the first place and to try to be as honest as possible. That's why I made a decision not to rehearse at all. Oh. Uh, mm. to, and for him to have no bearings apart from what was happening in real time on set altogether. So the plan was every, every morning we were on set with the camera uh, trying to discover the scenes, the emotions um, in real time altogether in the now with no, you know, um, preconcept ideas. Mm. And to me, it was the best way for them to be as truthful as possible and to let the emotions, uh, the true emotions overwhelm them. So it was a very emotional shooting for that reason. They had no cue of what we were doing. And it was like, not at all what it was um, used to do because mm. as an American actor you know is used to prepare a lot to have like mm. uh, backstories um, to make some research and to have uh, sometimes to work with a coach and, and mm. to come on set with a clear idea of what should be done and here it was about trying to let it go and to lose the control of the situation because also it, it was mirroring what it was about it's about the father trying to fix everything mm. and in failure I mean he doesn't know how to save his son and so uh, to me at least it made sense to put him in a position where he was losing the control so, so does that apply mm. to the other actors the other actors got on board with this process yeah. i mean I, I was gonna say that vanessa kirby already has a bit of that energy but there is a feeling especially between those two in the scenes like they're they are in real time trying to figure out what's going on like they, they don't know what's going to happen next and i think that's what yeah. a lot of the energy comes from yeah, I mean, the, 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 this kind of process, you cannot do it with only one actor. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> it yeah. won't be understood. Yeah. And uh, so because of the way it started, because of that first conversation, uh, I asked everyone to, 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 yeah, to join us. So it means, for example, that I was, they were not allowed to have access to the playback, for example, or to the rushes. So they had no cue, of, no images of what we were doing. Wow. And, and for example, Hugh Jackman, he's a dancer, he's a mm -hmm. singer, meaning mm -hmm. that he's a very technical actor. Mm -hmm. He has, a, when, so when you're very technical, you need to check, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it was, a, for him, it was about exploring another way to work. And because he's so brave, so open-minded, uh, he understood that he would be an exciting thing and not uh, a, di a difficult thing somehow. And he was really ready to, to join this. And also because it creates some uh, interesting opportunities. For example, at the beginning of the film, I mean, the film opens like that. Um, Laura Dern knocking at Hugh's door. Mm -hmm. And this is her ex-husband uh, to speak about their son. And, you know, she's not supposed to be here, you know, because they are not married anymore. And mm -hmm. he has a new wife and a baby, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the first scene we shot. We, we started one week with every scenes in the apartment. And after a few days, you know, this apartment, we were familiar with it. It was really Hugh and Vanessa's space mm -hmm. and we were comfortable. And then I asked Laura to come, but I asked her before that date before that day not to show up at all on set so she had she didn't know anything about the set and she had never met vanessa in real life wow. never at all so when she knocked at the door um with the camera watching her and she sees for the very first time her partner mm. vanessa kirby and she sees for the very first time 
the layout, the space, mm -hmm. the furniture, this new life where she's not supposed to be. And, and so having spent so many hours in the editing room, I felt strongly that you can see on her face the combinations of all these ambivalent feelings. You know, she mm. wants to have a glimpse of what it is, you know, this new life, but it, it's all in real time. You know? And we would have been able to do that uh, if we had rehearsed, for example. Mm. It definitely felt very territorial, like that that scene especially. Like you can you can really feel like the, the divide between his new partner and the ex wife and the the life. It's it's fascinating. Yeah, it's totally fascinating. Yeah. How how did you just keep them apart beforehand? Then did you did you keep them apart beforehand? Yes. <laughs> did, so different makeup room, different. Yeah. Just literally, we keep them yeah. apart. Yeah, but also you know it was covid mm. so oh, i had helps. an excuse yes oh yeah <laughs> a nice. perfect excuse in terms of the you know them not rehearsing the actors that's a, it's tough because what happens if you you haven't got what you want what happens if it they're coming at it from totally different angles from where you want it to be or the two actors one's this way and that was that way how did you deal with that you fight but uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> boxing no. gloves on Let's no but it. the thing is that when for an actor, it's very insecure to be in that position. So in a way, with the insecurity, there is something more open, you know. And mm. you're trying to build something all together. And they were very, very um, reactive but open to that. So it was not difficult. It was more intense, I would say. And also, you know, to direct actors, it's a combination of being kind and to watch them mm. but it's also sometimes to find strategies you know um in order for some specific emotions to overwhelm for example at some point in that story there is a gunshot mm. and uh you know i thought about how to do that and i rehearsed this time a lot with my dop mm. with a standby so that we were very ready of what we were trying to do and then I asked the actors to come and I told them okay so it's just a rehearsal for the camera there will be no gunshot at the end of it so but play the scene uh, and don't expect anything to happen in the end because you know we're not do going to do it 20 times so I won't I won't give the top so they do the scene and we are ready we are shooting even though I told them that we were not shooting was just a camera rehearsal yeah. and at Turn the end I gave the top of the gunshot and so what you see on their face it's real surprise and it's real terror. And suddenly they have to deal with that and they have to deal with what happened. It's already too late. And they have to make decisions about it, like in real life. And this is their decision to stand and then to run out of frame. Mm. And, and so their contribution to that moment is their instinct about how to deal with that situation because suddenly it's too late. It's already happened. Yes, you mm. can't preempt it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 not you don't have to fight, you know, you just have to be here mm. to watch them be who they are. And um uh, so we did that and then we moved on and only one take was enough because the terror I was looking for was already there. And so this is the way we worked. So in, in terms of camera work, was that also in the back of your mind? Once you decided with the actors, okay, we're going to sort of rehearse it this way, was the idea that the camera was kind of there and sort of capturing things, but really it wasn't getting in the way and you weren't trying to block people too much, those kinds of things? No, 
it was blocked a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, As blocked with stand-ins. So you block it with stand-ins or you would think about No, it I, I did it with them. With mm -hmm. them, right, with the crew. It, it, which is what I call the rehearsal every morning. Okay. So we block the scene and oh, we discuss With the actors, okay. yeah. block it, discuss okay. it, they yeah. don't act So they create yeah. the scene yes. in the room at the time. All together. And then, yeah, okay. Exactly. And then we jump into it. But um, no, I, I think that uh, it's... it's um, I understand what, what I just said sounds chaotic and... You know, there may be two ways to do cinema. I don't know, but, uh, you know, to find truth in the cow, you know, mm. in the cows, in cows. Cows. In cows. cows. Like cows. donkeys, horses and cows. cows. No, cows. no, no, cows. not cows. cows. Uh, so <laughs> this is my English, which is not good. Um, cows. Cow is when... Um, kale? No. So how, how do you spell it? Uh, I think it's C-H-A-O-S. Chaos. Chaos. And the chaos. chaos. There we go. Okay. Sorry. Okay. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, this is something that yeah. could happen when you work with someone who is yeah, not yeah. bilingual. <laughs> no chaos. <Yeah. laughs> Imagine the cows turning up to set. <laughs> all the cows. Yeah. yeah the production yeah. department brought all the cows in. I don't know no, why I wanted them. So I was saying that sometimes you, you can try to find truth in chaos. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I wouldn't say that that's my way to do mm. it. I'm more like a control freak. Mm. So I'm like overprepared. I, over blocking things mm. uh, before working with actor, so I'm more from this part of the brain than the chaos part. You see what I mean? Mm. Yes. But f d despite that, despite the temptation to control everything, uh, there is a room for that uh, things that is just the truth that they have in themselves that could appear. You see what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Gosh, um, it, could that lead to? issues though like problems where things don't like say the gunshot there where it worked and you were nailed because i can imagine that they weren't expecting and you get those real reactions and yeah. oh there's no cut i've got to keep acting what happens when it didn't work the way you wanted so now they know what's coming just what i mean yeah yeah how, sure. how did you plan when it? you have only one shot you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's it this is what no honestly not that much I, I did a bit the same with the father it was the same process mm. um and on the father we had a big scene that didn't work like that, which was the last, last scene of the film. And uh, when we saw Anthony cracking down and it was the, um, we, we knew each other's that we knew, we both knew, sorry, that it, that scene was so important that if it was not right, the whole film would have lost something. I mean, it would have been almost pointless. So hmm. that's the only scene I, rehearsed slightly the day before just Anthony and me talking together about it and he was so good and so I felt confident about it but the next day when we tried to do it something was not working and it's because I think it was so painful for him to get there you know because it was about trying to almost to reach his own feeling of mortality mm. that it was really um, not easy so we had to discuss a lot and to fight a lot to find the scene. Uh, but that's the only moment where I had, a, I would say, like a difficulty about not to see what I was looking for. So, so in terms of the wow. process for The Father, how, how did it differ in terms of how you approached the, the shooting and the rehearsal period? It was the same, meaning that, uh, okay. yeah. And, you know, I come from theater, so I'm very familiar with rehearsing and that's something I love, but I was trying to be as far as possible from the theatrical process because this is what I knew and I wanted really to experience something unknown for me. And also because it was films 
coming from plays, you know, I thought that it would be important to to create a process that was not theatrical. Mm. And so for the father, also we we didn't rehearse, but it was for another reason. Uh, it's mainly because I didn't want us, and I didn't want Anthony to imitate what he knew about dementia. Mm. It was not about trying to make some research. It, it's method. It could work like that, but that's that's not what I want to do. What I wanted to do is to ask Anthony to be Anthony in front of the camera and to to deal with his own fear and to deal with his own feeling of mortality. And also because, remember, the set was changing all the time because we didn't shot, we didn't shoot in chronological order. Mm. Somehow he was lost in the space. Disorientated. Yeah, yeah. Mm. so he had to let it go, you know. And, and um, I think it helped a lot, the fact that he had to find something in himself that was not his techniques. So, mm. so in, in a way, you're, a lot of what you're doing is creating a world and an atmosphere for the actors to be absorbed in, um, almost sort of on, on the set. Is that, is that kind of correct? Yeah, but again, I think it's not a general method. It's just for these two films, because I felt that it was um, relevant. And also because I felt a kind of a responsibility towards people who are actually suffering from dementia mm. or depression. So I tried to find a truth that was not my representation, but the truth that we all have in ourselves, you know, because we all know what it is to have, you know, the fear of, yeah. of disappearing mm. or, you know, to be in dark waters. I think we all know what it is. We all have this room in ourselves. Mm. So it was about trying to be honest and exploring this point. Let's talk about going from, you know, writing these plays, putting plays on, to adapting your own play and getting a heavyweight like Anthony Hopkins doing it and you being allowed to direct. Was there any pushback at any point for you that someone would say, no, you shouldn't be directing this? You know, was that always your vision where you said, look, I'm going to move this from a play? And wonderfully, by the way, it didn't feel stagey. Neither of your films felt, they didn't feel like they were a play. They felt fresh, new, like it was written specifically for film, which it was, but didn't come from a play. How did it come about? How did it actually work for you that you went, I'm going to make this? It's not someone who came to me who offered me to do it, you know. Mm. It's something that I had to fight for. It's So it comes from a place where I was convinced that I needed to do it. And as you can hear, I'm French, so it, mm. didn't, it was not obvious for me to, to do these films in English. But the reason I wanted to make The Father in English was really because I wanted to do it with Anthony Hopkins. I had this like strong conviction that he would be extraordinary. Mm. But also because he's this man, you know, of the man who control everything, you know, this very intelligent man. I thought that it would be interesting and new to see him losing the control, losing all his bearings. And so I wrote the script with Christopher Hampton in English and nobody believed that it would, you Good. know, yeah, no, mm -hmm. nobody thought that it would, you know, I don't know, that some that he would answer to me, you know, but sure. I sent him the script through his agents or in the most common way. Mm. So um, did, you didn't use a casting director, you sent it no. straight to his agent? Yeah, yeah. And you dealt with the agent yourself? Yeah. It's amazing. Um, no, I did it by myself. Mm. And... Um, and three, I mean, then I started to wait. <laughs> and one day I just received a phone call. I didn't recognize the, the phone number. It was Anthony's agent saying, oh, I didn't know him. And he said, Anthony Hopkins read your script. Uh, he would like to meet with you to know who you are. 
And so I took a plane to Los Angeles to have a breakfast with him. Mm, nice. And um, after three hours of discussion, he took me in his arm and he said, let's make that movie. And uh, I'd have loved it if after yeah. 10 minutes yeah. or 15 minutes, you'd gone, yeah, you're cast, you got the part, kid. Yeah. Like yeah. the Hugh Jackman <laughs> moment. Yeah, I think it's you. <laughs> I think you can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah, that's amazing. That the fact that that connection happened and the fact that he'd read it from, you know, someone almost sending mm. it cold as well. Okay, you're a very successful playwright, but that I think, does... I think that's proof as well that, that if, if the script's good enough, mm. you can get through to the top actors. Like, yeah, I think so, because I really feel that every actor is secretly looking not even secretly by the way but is looking for something uh appealing and and exciting and and uh, also because i'm i've been working with many actors mainly french actors on stage i know something about actors is that even even when you are anthony hopkins there is a place where you are still insecure you know you are still an mm. actor doubting about your ability to to do a, a part so it's about also being strong enough and to know precisely what you want, which is the most reassuring thing for an actor to convince them that, that there is room for them on that journey. So, so did you send him a letter with the script, like some kind of email or yeah. something to try and hook the agent and him to read the script even? Not really, to be honest. No. Uh, what I did <laughs> is that the, the, na the character's name was Anthony. And at some point, someone asked what his, uh, the birth date of the character, and this is uh, Anthony Hopkins' uh, real birthday date, so uh, that he had the message uh, that it was really written for him. And I was not lying when subtly. I... Subtly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I like it, yeah. And, but it's not for that reason. It's really because it was a way for him to understand that I wanted to play with the real Anthony. I wanted to play with who he is um, as a man and not only as an actor to try to explore these uh, human emotions. How did you then? eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Go about learning the craft of filmmaking because you seem to have just picked it up like a duck to water. You know, you've been, all your work on stage and obviously you've written other films as well, but suddenly now you're directing Anthony Hopkins, yeah. um, let alone some amazing other actors in there as well. How did you go about that but working with the crew knowing what lens sizes you wanted what camera you wanted to work it's, on i would say it's a combination of work and um and instinct mm. work you know you can learn whatever you want especially nowadays you know all all the information are out there somehow it's yeah. uh, it's a question of you know how much uh energy you want to put in into things and also because um again it was my plays 
So I was familiar with the material. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, what was the story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the, um, the chance to work with people that, was, that were great and helped me to, to be even more precise. And also because, strangely, the fact that I was working in English and not in French mm-hmm. was an asset somehow. At the beginning, I was nervous about it. To be honest, what I was thinking, oh, you're going to shoot a film. You've never done that before. You're going to direct Anthony Hopkins... Yeah. Etc. Et this is not the most scary part. For, it was not the most scary part for me. The most scary part for me was to do, have to, that I had to do it in English. I was uh-huh. I was afraid to have to, at some point to say something and that everybody would have looked at me saying, "I don't understand what he says." Yeah. <laughs> Why are all the cows here? Exactly. You know, you can you can lose yeah. a lot of credibility. You know, yeah. when you're trying to 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 mention chaos in front of Anthony Hopkins and yeah. he understands chaos. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it, you can lose everything and it's, it's a lot. So yeah. I was nervous about that. And, and then I realized that, you know, to be understood, it's more a question of uh, energy and mm. desire more than words. Mm. And also to me, what was very interesting to discover is that I was to have to be in this uncomfortable place with the language forced me to be even more precise about what I was expecting, what I was looking for. And so, you know, when you are not... Because we use the language for many things, not only to say what we have to say, but also, you know, to prevent something to happen, to control a personality, to manipulate some time on said people. I mean, you see what I mean? To mm. We use language to help people to be contained, to I mean, to resolve issues, not only to say what we have to say, but when you are not with your own language, you cannot do that. You just, you are reduced to, you can say only what you have to say. So you have to be very clear about what is your thought. And, and I did these films with this uh, restriction or this um, awareness that I really had to know what I wanted because it would it would be obvious yeah. <laughs> otherwise yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so to work in another language was a, a, a very helpful somehow mm. a helpful mm. challenge yeah mm. um we've got to we've got to wrap this up um but is there one really quick bit of advice you'd give any struggling filmmakers or playwrights um yeah maybe something you might have thought to give yourself when you were younger I mean, it's hard to give advices. Maybe the best advices is to never listen to any advices. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Stop listening to the podcast right now. (laughs) Or to to follow, you know, to follow despite everything, uh, you know, what you want to do. Because there is room, that's for sure, there is room for things to exist. We need story to be told. This is what we need more than anything. And... um, you know, the story I just told about Anthony Hopkins is the proof that, you know, there is a path mm. to make things exist in the world when you have the energy. And it's t- sometimes it's tough to have the energy because it's, it's energy, desire and conviction. And sometimes it's hard to have the trust in yourself. But uh, the fire of the conviction and the desire that's is important and i would give another advice because i'm the one who said there is no advice and <laughs> there is another one that came to me because i was i was talking about a uh, hugh jackman mm. taking the risk to express his own desire i really respect that and most of the people they are shy about having desires and i think that's that's very important and very brave but very important to be able to express what you want what you dream and to feel that you have the right to have that desire and everyone would be 
happy to hear that. Even great actors. Amazing. Well, it's, it's, as you know, it's one of my favorite films of the year. Um, mm. Thank you very much. It's been a real yeah. pleasure. Florence, thank you. Thank you very much. We're back. No cows yeah. were harmed in the making of this episode. No. Which is good news. Um, that was amazing. Florian was just mm. cool. Really nice guy. Very down yeah. to earth and just generally was happy to chat to us. Yeah. Wasn't he nice? He was he was great, yeah. The thing is, you go and see these these screeners and you sit you sing praise about the films you like. And a lot of the a lot of the people don't bother monitoring their <laughs> their accounts or they just ignore your your reviews. But Florian reshared all the the views and he said thank you. And I think, you know, however famous you get, if you can do that, in my books, it puts you up very high because it means you're a, a humble director that appreciates someone that is taking the time to I look like at your that. film. Uh, yeah. So so when I heard that we had a we had a nice little podcast, um I I flew I didn't flow specifically back from Poland on my uh, lovely snowboarding trip, uh, but I did rush from the airport, lugging my very heavy luggage, charging through the streets of London, across the tubes, flying luggage up stairs and downstairs, and just about crashed into the interview in time. Uh, so you I, I, did. We were waiting outside a little bit for you, yeah. and Florin just sat on the sofa, and I was like, yeah. oh. Oh, is Dom going to make this? <laughs> and you can see the lovely PR coming again. Um, yep. Sweating. Do you think Dom's yep. going to get here on time? <laughs> Whereas Florence just chilling. He's having a great time. He's got the day off. And yep. It was really nice. So, do you know what I found really interesting, actually, with his chat? Mm. was him talking about how he got Anthony Hopkins mm. on board his debut yeah. movie in the first place. Yeah. And look, don't get us wrong. Florence a very well-established novelist playwright. and playwright in his own right. He is... Already up there. Mm. So he's one of the best in France. His plays have been translated and transferred all over the world. So well, it's not like someone who's say. never <laughs> it's not like someone who's never done anything and suddenly chucking an email email out to Anthony Hopkins. But this still, is someone who But still but still yeah. he still sent a cold email mm-hmm. to Anthony Hopkins directly. A hop, yeah. <laughs> Just a hop, sk- a hop, skip, and a jump to chuck that email yeah, across. He just hopped to him. into that email, <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, you know, a month later, gets an email back, gets a call saying, mm, "And suddenly yeah, he's a kin. He's in the door with a nice Chianti, yeah. <laughs> having a lovely chat." And and I think that yeah. is really cool. Yeah, let's discuss the thing, this. Uh, thing is, you never know, do you? You, you no. never know when you when you send to an agent. You don't know if they've if, if they've actually sent it to their actor. Let's be honest, especially if you're in the indie world. Like you never really 100% know. You, you hope and, and you know you trust that they will. But you never really know what what's going on in the process. You know that they are the you know the barrier between keeping their clients safe for, from millions of crazy projects um and getting the good stuff through to them. <laughs> um so, mm. you know, you hope it's got to the actor and then when it does get to the actor, you you also hope that they aren't busy and then they're in a good mood and they read it and they understand where you're coming from and and that it's something that's right for them. So, um, you know, for all those things to align, you know, you've got to have a bit of luck or or a very, very good project on your hands. Absolutely. Well, like I say, help that it was a play and it was very, very successful, of course. Yes. And the actor will yeah. take that seriously. The agent will take that seriously. But I don't think that should stop any of you guys mm. out there you know, going, why don't I write to an agent 
of an actor I really want to play the part. Of course, it's a long shot. But if your writing's amazing and your project's really cool and it's something they want to do and you've targeted them specifically, maybe they've not done that kind of role before, then it's not out of the question. Mm. It's not impossible. People get scared by these gatekeepers. Mm. And look, they're the gate- gatekeepers for a reason. Anthony Hopkins doesn't want... 60 scripts through his door every day. He just doesn't. That's what he's got an agent for. You better have something good. And I just think it's important you try. If that's something you want to do, you try it. You know, why not? The agent might read it and go, hang on, this is really good. Mm. This writer's great. Maybe I'll rep them myself. It might not get to Anthony Hopkins, Mm. um, but it's about putting yourself out there. And I think a lot of filmmakers get scared of that. Yeah. And the thing, the thing is as well, you know, whatever the reason for the no, and whoever says the no, like at least then you know you can move on, um, and that's it. You know, then you try someone else. That's life, and that's it. And during that time, you're already you're already in the process of going. Well, I've got the script out to Anthony Hopkins at the moment. Well, that's a conversation starter in well, a meeting. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you've yeah, done the work, sure. you've put the effort in, you've already written mm-hmm. it. It's one of the hardest things to do, and now yeah. you've just got to keep going on that. And interestingly, he didn't write a letter to Anthony Hopkins. He didn't say, oh, Anthony, you'd be amazing in this. I found that really interesting. A lot of the cast directors mm. I work with all the time say, write a letter to this actress or actor explaining why they'd be right for the part. And he didn't mm. do that. And, and interestingly, what I really liked about mm. the Hugh Jackman um, conversation that, that he had is that he said why he liked Hugh Jackman as a man as well as an actor. And I, I think that's really interesting because there, there's obviously there's a part of an actor that is always completely different for every role and is a a performer. But there is also behind that, there is some truth in who they are as a person. Uh, And I think it's, it's interesting that he, he touched on that. And and I think that is always something that I always take into account with, with an actor, Mm. like, you know, what what are they, what's their base level? You know, are they someone that's been through grief? Are they someone that does have a funny side? Are they someone that, that, you know, that can, that that can snap and and realistically bring anger to to the table, you know. Do they have those things in them, or or is it is that just part part of their sort of performance? And I think those are interesting things to take into into account if you're going for someone specifically, because those letters can't be just a generic. I think you'd be great, Anthony Hopkins, because you're a good actor and my film's really good. You know, it, it just can't be like it, it can't be just like generic you know, fan, fan yeah. mailing type stuff. Very, very rarely works. Yeah. I also really liked what he was talking about, why he said, you can learn filmmaking. Mm. Obviously he's been on set before as a screenwriter. He had been on set, but it is very different when you're a screenwriter. And is there any screenwriters out there that have been on set? It mm. is different. But when you're on set, you are watching mm. and you're learning. It's a shame that they're just the writer at the time and, but you do get to see what happens. I mean, just in the nicest possible way. And I try and involve the writer mm. in, in as much yeah, as yeah. I can, in the most possible way I can, you know. And I say, I say, well, look at this. Mm. Does this line still sit right? Yeah. Now it's in situ. But often you don't have time to rewrite anything. And yeah. that can be very heartbreaking I mean, I, yeah. to write. I, I, I would hope that the I would hope by the time you get to set as well, that you've really discussed stuff with your actors, and they might have had thoughts. Or they might just improvise something that, I mean, really, at the end of the day, what you want to be doing is you want to be getting the intent of the writer. Um, You know, if there's one word that feels more natural to the actor and and their journey through the character, you know, change a few words here and there. Of course, yes. Um, And and that's what it's about. It's about keeping, and the same as a director, like, you know, 
put whatever spin you want on the words. But you know, are you are you aware of what the intent was for the writer, and are you being authentic mm. to that? And like he was saying, anyone can learn this. I believe that, and he learned it brilliantly. Mm. <laughs> and, and look, he won an Oscar. He's not doing too bad. Best adapted screenplay, and he was up for best picture yeah. at the Academy Awards for his mm. debut movie. That's yeah. huge and hugely impressive. Yeah, and he just went. Oh, I'm going to learn. And learn how to do this. Yeah, and I think there's also an argument in terms of like he he's very good with working with actors, mm. and he he has he has brought that across to film and learned the the differences between theatre and film like very you know easily and, and coherently. Yeah, um, and it works well. Uh, and and you, it works. Yeah. How did you take this when he said he didn't let the actors on set or meet each other before a take? So certain actors yeah. hadn't met before a take. So they've obviously learnt the lines and they've sort of blocked mm. it through in some way. Yeah maybe separately and now they're going on set and not met each other before like what's going to happen who's going to say what am i going to get my cue is a loud noise going to happen how am i going to react to this that's fascinating i I think dangerous i think it works very well specifically for him and the film that he was making Mm. um because i I mean like you know he he talked about some interesting stuff like hugh jackman with the new the new partner and the wife coming to visit the apartment for the first time and them not having um you know seen each other in that scenario or Hugh and, and Laura. They hadn't um, met at not, all. They hadn't Laura met. Laura and Vanessa. So, so, so that, that, that is a brilliant use of, of, you know, using your setting for something to feel like, you know, genuinely like a shock for the actors. And, and I think that's great. And I think, you know, what he's doing is he he's doing it in a very safe and thought out way. You know, he's not sort of, you know, jumping behind a, an actor and doing something, something like dangerous because you know some the the other side of that spectrum is you know you you shock your actors without discussing something that that could be quite horrifying, but actually he he's doing it in a very in a very well thought out way, um and you know it it, it is about creating those those instantaneous very real reactions, reactions. Um, um and making them authentic. Uh, I think especially when you're working with I'd say first timers but sometimes newcomers mm. onto a film set it can yep. be absolutely daunting frightening yeah, for any yeah. actor coming on set generally i was there i've done it but if it's kind of one of your first times and it does happen to a lot of indie filmmakers yep. the actors are just coming on set they're quite new yeah 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 and it's a frightening experience all round mm. so i mean look it's a different situation here where he's got really talented actors and yep. oscar winning actors but to do that god i'd love to do that yeah i'd love to go oh, yeah. yeah okay let's try this and i think with indie filmmaking it can be sometimes very very difficult yeah because you, you have so little time you can't do take that. those huge those huge yeah. risks but, but also it depends on the genre like if, you know, if you're doing if you're doing a rom-com where two people meet for the very first time it, it might work mm, well yeah after you've done the sort of chemistry test because you want to make sure there is actual chemistry. <laughs> imagine it might, it, you do this yeah and you keep them apart <laughs> For this big yeah. moment, and they open the door, and they go, "Oh yeah. no!" So you, you've, you've, you've got to, you've got to like, at first sight style. Yeah, and yeah it's, exactly. No, nope. so you've <laughs> got to, you've got to create, you've got to make sure, obviously, that there is something there. But you mm. know, that kind of situation might work very well if it's about two people that have known each other their whole life, and it's you know, it's a real bonding film. You know, that's the kind of thing where it might work very well for them to hang out a lot beforehand not even to talk about the character just to get to know each other and you know build that sort of familiarity so you know it's it's a great example of working with what's right for the situation um and this film was all about two parents being thrown at the deep end having absolutely no clue how to deal with their their troubled son 
um, and and he's he's used all these tools um, to to work on that. Do you do you feel that we as directors and writers have to think a lot about that when we're going into making something? Do you feel that we should be pushing the boundary more? rather than going over the shoulder, over the shoulder, single, single, wide, you know, mm. within a blocking, like storytelling. Mm. Do you think that we have a a duty, even if you know you only have time for yeah. for that, what I said, or even less, you've only got over the shoulder, over the shoulder wide, because time's against you on an indie film, always. But do you think you should fight back and sort of go, oh, my vision's this? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the shot, really. I mean, I, th- I think it depends on if it's story um story-led shots i think you can make mm. a master or a wide that tells a story um mm-hmm. yeah without having to compromise you know the shot i mean it could be a, a something i mean to to avoid a cliche it could be like a simple shot of like panning out to a, a picture of someone that's that's dead from a you know like someone sitting on a bed i mean it, it can be really simple basic stuff um um, I mean, a good one I saw in Last of Us recently was was panning out to an open window to sort of symbolise someone that, that had passed, and then you see, and then you see something in the background, you know, the characters then driving off into that shot. So it's like you're telling story, but you're also serving a purpose. And it's like, you know, if you're doing that, and there's an emotional reason for the, you know, for the shot, then the shot should stay. If it's just a fancy shot to look cool. That and you you know you're up against the time. Then really, you just want to get the get as much performance as you can in that time. So it depends what you're what you're doing. Yes, and and really, does your does your shot need to be super complicated to tell the story? Well, that's really? why I like that's I like a moving master first. Mm. My wide is often a moving master. Mm. It's a Spielberg way. It's the way he likes to shoot. You know, if you've yep. watched any of his behind the scenes stuff on YouTube, mm. uh, any of the movies you love of Steven Spielberg, yep. you watch the behind the scenes, you're like, oh my God, all he did was move his camera across. And then it became a close up, and then the actors moved back and it became exactly. a wide in one take. And I love doing that as a moving master, blocking it out with my actors, going through in detail, thought process with the cinematographer, yep. when the camera's going to be around here, and then talking to the actor, if you move around here, okay, if you turned and said the line here then we'll lay a track here and then i can get that at the same time or if i'm using a steady cam i can keep going and yep. that to me is magic yeah, i yeah. love that For sure. and that's when you're exploring and that's your job to tell the story yep. well and to tell it in a coherent way yeah. coherent way and make that's it make it. sense that's it and, and your master doesn't your master doesn't even have to mm. be moving you just have to think what are but it's nice what is the most important thing to show in this scene um and that can be the wide you know it can just be the wide you know, you, there's lots of things you can think about where they're facing, mm. what the focus is yes. on in the scene, what's most important. And, and that's, you know, that can be your grounding for, for what you're doing. But huge tip, do not spend too long on the wide. Huge, no. huge Jackman mm. tip. You just don't have time generally. And suddenly you've done eight takes yeah. on a wide. It's yeah. like, oh, and suddenly you've got time for one close up. Come on now. When you're in the edit, you know you're only going to use that close up. So it's a huge mistake a lot of filmmakers yeah. do is try and get the wide perfect, get the acting perfect. Mm. Well, you're only going to use seconds of that. So move on. Yeah. Get the important. Yeah, be, be aware shots. if you're just going to realistically use the yes, start and yes. the end, unless it's something that's developing from a wide into something close. It's good to get the actors yeah. to warm up in that sense. Yeah. And I don't mean, well, they should come prepared and you should yeah. come prepared, of course. But sometimes it's yeah. really good to go, okay, let's go through it. This is the essence of the scene. And now you're coming into mm. the close-ups when you're already ready. The only time I don't do that, uh, that way around is when I've got a really emotional scene mm. or there might be tears or they've got get to a certain yeah. heightened yeah. state. I will ask the actor 
do you want to do this crying scene, heightened stake scene first? Because what you don't want to do is do it later. Uh, you don't, what you don't want to do is shoot all the wides when they're doing that brilliant emotional acting. And by the time it comes to the close up, it's too late. Yeah. Or you don't get it in the wide. You can't see it in the wide, these amazing performance. And you've wasted, wasted something magic. Exactly. Yeah. Cause, well, yeah. Cause, cause I mean, actors have different processes. Some, some can go like, you know, over and over and again, and they can get the, the tears. Some, some will take them a while to build up to it. Some of them will, get prepped and they'll explode at the start and then you know you you won't want to be doing like the fifth or tenth take with them because they'll have they'll have used up their energy yeah and and it can look like they're now trying to just recreate yeah. that moment and it's harder to use that because it looked like someone's acting the capital a and you've got to make you got to make sure the cameras are ready when when you are doing those kind of scenes and that's where you want to make sure you're not faffing yes. around and, and screwing up the mm. you know the camera moves yeah you really like the sun i loved it but you, this was one of your favorite movies of last year it is yeah, out now i thought it was great yeah. um so do yeah. go watch it so something about us this week that we've mm-hmm. been up to within the filmmaking world that we've been doing. Let's yeah. start with you, Dom. You know, something yeah. that we could be really useful for our filmmakers as well. Generally speaking, I have been doing another cinema run, which is a sort of an, an offhand thing that I sort of learned to do for my own last film. Um, well, you did which, Three Day Millionaire for us. And I did, did your one, well yeah. on it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's kind of another sort of extension of producing, really. Um, mm, it is. And you just you just learn things by doing indie films, and and sometimes it fits around the schedule. So um, I've been doing that. Um, What's the distant. film called? Uh, Breaking Infinity. It's Ooh, a sci-fi time. film. Nice. Uh, Mariana Dean directed. A um, mm. little bit on the Shakespeare sister side. Mm-hmm. They're in post for the film that you also worked with me on. The Unreason. Um, the Unreason. Mm. So that's coming along nicely. Doing a few corporates, editing corporates, which is which is nice. Keeps you sort of in the directing game, pays well. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes in this job, as a filmmaker, creative, you have to work out what pays because film directing gigs don't get thrown at you all the time. You've mm. got to constantly push a project or writing something or trying to get someone to mm. invest in it, someone to be in it, and you need money to survive. And that is really tough in this gig because... Mm. Often people want you to work full time for yeah. them on something else, and that takes you away from what you really yeah. want to do. And sometimes you've just got to hang yeah. in there and actually say, "Yes, I can do these smaller jobs and try and survive." <clears throat> and it can well, be really difficult. That, that, it's, 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 it's the balance because when you don't have money, I, I think it's that's a stressful mm. situation to be in. But then when you're working in a sort of very constrained, restrictive full time job, that's also a stressful position to be in so it's it's finding the freelance and the freedom and the flexibility but it's also keeping the the money in so you can then be relaxed and creative and that's uh, not that's easy the, it's very balance. difficult no so i've been um casting a lot this week how are actually. you done <laughs> ah, i'm fine thanks tom yeah i've been casting um because we've got mm. quite a few projects now yeah. going because uh, three day millionaire did really well it mm. went on netflix obviously you know and did really well it's still on there if you want to go watch it and support indie films and it did open some doors and i don't mean that that people are banging down our doors but what it does it means that we can go open doors myself and jack and we can pop your head and go mm. hey and if you've got another project ready to go people will listen and don't do it like that seriously. <laughs> oh hey hey it's me uh, we got four day millionaire here <laughs> yeah well, and it. um yeah and you can do that. You can 
build on your success. Any kind of success, any kind of film mm. release is success. It's so hard yeah. to do it. So the fact that you've done that is huge. So right now we're casting, Rob Kelly's casting one of our projects. Sophie Holland is casting another, but this is just for named actors. Big names. Mm. So don't, so any actors out there, don't start sending your emails to those casting directors at the moment because, um, we are just looking for big names. And, and it's a sad thing about this industry, but this is how it works. You need those names. Yeah. You do a film over a certain budget. You have uh, to have yeah. Names. And these yeah. films are over a certain budget and you do have to have big names to get pre-sales or to get any investors to part with money sometimes. So that's where yeah. we are right now. Um, a lot of backers and forwards. Who's yeah. right? Who's not? And you start thinking about it and you start going, oh, this perfect, this person is absolutely right yeah. for this. The offer's going in. Oh my God, they're going to be amazing. And then they say no. Cause either yeah, they've done yeah. something like yeah. it or they're busy for a year or whatever. Oh, they don't fancy it. Yep. Oh God, that's heartbreaking. Is, Cause then yeah. you've got to do that process all over again. Yeah. And it can get you down. I mean, look, we're in a great position, of course. It's very but annoying. At the same time, it's really annoying. Um, I'm also doing vision decks at the moment, trying to get them Your done. I'm decks, trying to do classics. information memorandums, IMs for the investors. So they're happy mm. with what we're putting in, paying people still, um, deliverables for all the films, like 3D Millionaire still getting released all around the world. So yeah, I've got, got to pay people. Yeah, I've got to pay people. I'm the producer. And that's the thing I've learned that it never goes away. It's not like, Hey, you got a film out. Great. This is amazing more films being chucked here you can move on to the next one but no yeah. there's still taxes to pay there are still yeah. people who come out the woodwork and say oh i forgot to put that invoice in and then you've got to pay them and a lawyer needs something doing and you've got to do that yeah. and then there's the deliverables for all the other territories yeah. or the poster needs changing and there are the trailers wrong there and you've mm. suddenly got to redo it and then you've got to send an email yeah. and it's just it's very frustrating ending. especially when you've put it to bed <laughs> yeah it really is <laughs> but what i've learned yeah. is that no one else would do this for you if you're going to produce no there's no one coming to help and that's why you give yourself a big old fee yes you should give yourself you a big old fee. Do. but 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 really you, sh you should yeah i mean it's 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 difficult i was talking to, to connor the other day yeah, um, director of when the screaming yes. starts and and you know he, he's sort of putting stuff together and we're talking about like you know what to pay yourself um and and really you sort of have to you have to actually think you know no one wants to do it because oh it's it's a passion project or it's oh it's mine so i shouldn't pay myself but you do have to think like how long am i really going to be spending on this oh, and yes. am i actually going to be surviving and and yeah. make those make the sacrifices later if you need to but but trying to put them in at the start yeah my view on it now is no, the price is not moving because often the pro the producer's fee, the director's yep. fee, screenwriter's fee, yeah, first yeah, ones to yeah. go, don't worry about it, we want to get it made. Yeah. And the problem is yeah. with that is hardly anyone gets back in in film. This is just fact, especially indie film. How long do you keep doing how, this? Yeah, how long do you keep doing it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's got to come a point when you go, no, that is mm. not moving. Why should it? Yeah. No, I'm the one who's going to be working yeah. on this for years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. Realistically, three years solid on this project. There's always going to be something. Certainly yeah. a year nonstop. That yeah. money's got to pay you. So I say yeah. stick to your guns, stay firm. People are always going to say no. And yeah, you can negotiate and hey, you can say, fine, if this project needs to get paid and I need to get Hugh Jackman in my movie and some of my fees have got to come down so I can get him in the movie. Sure, yeah. play the game, but stick firm to your guns at first yeah. and go, look, 
this is yeah. my job. Yeah, I'm not that's it. doing anything else now. If I do yeah, this, you, you, just, you wouldn't get in the other industry. Like you know, if you're a plumber, in no other you know, industry, people have, people have mortgages and stuff. Well, we don't have mortgages exactly. We're, we're doing the just because we're creative. We go, oh, <laughs> yeah. no, it's fine. I want my vision yeah. around the world. Yeah. No, we have to fight back on that. Yeah, as much as we can. Yeah. It's really hard, sure. But other crew members do it all the time. No, oh, yeah. that is my fee. I'm not doing it otherwise. Yeah. All right, I'll take out the producer fee yeah. so I can get you. The director fee's just gone down so we can get that steady come. Whoa, you yeah. end up with nothing. Everyone gets paid proper rates and yeah. you don't for the amount of work that you do. So that's my advice for this week. Stick mm. to your guns, work hard and know that no one else is coming to save the day. You have to do it and be prepared. That is what it takes to get films made. Years and years of work. So there you go. There we go. Ah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So join us on Sunday, by the way. Sunday, fun day. The Make Your Film event at the London Independent Film Festival. That's April the 16th, this Sunday, 2pm. this time it's personal. Tickets are in the show notes for that. Yeah. Yeah, look, do come along if you're in London. I mean, they're basically free, so you'd be ludicrous not to come. Yeah, it's ludicrously cheap. Yeah. Hang on, we should put a foot down yep. and say no. <laughs> no, but we're doing this because, look, it's, this is fun. <laughs> Not getting fed cake or anything. Yeah, I'll well, get yeah. cake. A yeah, lovely Natasha. vegan cake, please. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, look, the sun is out now. Yep. The film The Sun is out now. It's amazing. And then go watch. So go watch it and then go watch The Father as well. It's also an incredible yep. movie. Thank you, Florian yep. Zeller, for jumping on and being amazing. And you, you can go out there and make your films mm. oh glorious listener and you can go out there and make your films and you can get Hugh Jackman and you can get Anthony Hopkins into your movie yep. if you really work hard and have one of the best scripts out there but you yep. can do that believe in yourself and don't let anyone push you down don't let anyone say no your fees are coming down try and fight for the best film you can make and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it's your duty to send the elevator back down it is your duty to send it back down. So we will see you next Tuesday when we have on either Beck and Woods talking yep. about their film 65, yep. which actually starring Adam Driver, which yep. might have gone away now, but they have been on the pod a couple of times. They're ace people. They would said they would come on, but we might do that ourselves together rather than through the PR agent. Who... Or it might be Eben on The Last of Us. Oh yeah, it might be Eben Bolter, the amazing cinematographer from The Last of Us. Or it might be Dexter Fletcher but I think I'm going to move that to the week after because his his film Ghosted is coming out Mm. in a couple of weeks time so I'm going to put that on the 25th yes so how exciting either way so we will see you then for more fun frolics and information about filmmaking yeah all right take care everyone go out there make your films make it happen for you be inspired and do it and we will see you next Tuesday bye 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 adios (laughs) 